Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. As you're standing, let's get our Bibles and get ready to read from the Word of the Lord tonight. And uh, how looking for a place to start. Okay, this is a new year, new series, new focus, being unleashed. Where are we going to start? So I think I'm just going to start serving. All right, that's our title tonight. Let's start serving. That's a good point to start at. And you'll understand as we go through this. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 1. Philippians 2 and verse number 1. Look on in your Bibles or read on with the screen. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye may that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Then let this mind, let's read that last verse together. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. Lord, and it is with a great joy. Lord, and we, we look at this as a privilege to get into your word, to study your word. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us as we start this new year. Let us be, Lord, given to focus. Lord, not that we're just trying to start with new resolutions and new goals that we don't ever finish, but to take one day at a time and live for you with intention. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. Praise God. The Lord bless you and be seated. Hallelujah. The Lord truly is good, isn't he? I'm sure that if I ask these young guys here on the front, if I ask these young ladies, what do you want to be when you grow up? We would get a myriad of answers. We'd get a whole lot of different answers. What do you want to be when you grow up? A pastor. A pastor. Okay. How about you, buddy? Football player. No. Okay. How about you? Preacher. A preacher? All right. A cop. A cop. I'm telling you what, I'm going to know that I want to mess with him. Don't know. All right, Jesus. Get a hold of him, Lord. How about you, Gavin? Basketball player. Basketball player. In the SEAL team. Dude, if you didn't hear that, he's going to be a Navy SEAL. Watch out. All right, girls. <laughs> uh, doctor. Mm-mm. Hallelujah. A midwife. Okay. I'm a teacher. Teacher. Wow. All right. And give them all a hand. <clears throat> See, the thing of it is, uh, y- y'all, y'all need to know this. I'm 57 years old, and I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. <clears throat> is anybody else with me? 
Anybody else? Uh, well, I'm not going to look at Sister Amy. Sister Amy, bless her heart. I, uh, you need to ask Sister Amy how many jobs she's had and what she's done. No, uh, praise God. But what do you want to do with your life? Really, think with me. What do you want to do with your life? We're so good to just live a reactionary life. Well, whatever comes along, that's what we do. We just, this happens, I take that job, I go to this place, I do that, and whatever happens. You know, I want to have a good life, I want to have a good family, I want to have money, I want to have children. I, uh, uh, uh. But can I ask you a little different question? Do you know your why? Why are you on planet Earth? Why are you here on planet Earth? Why am I here? What is my purpose? These are powerful questions that we ought to ask ourselves and stop and think, why are we here? I heard a story just the other day. Let me share it with you. The story is told of a woman who was so depressed, so despondent about her life, is that she walked to a bridge and decided to jump off the edge to end her life in the river below. A man standing nearby witnessed the woman jump into the water, and immediately this man sprang into action. He ran to the edge of the bridge and himself jumped in, and in midair it dawned on him, I can't swim. I'm going to tell you what, that's somebody that's got a heart to want to serve right there. That's a whole lesson in, in itself. But he jumps in, he doesn't know how to swim, and so, I mean, he's swimming before he hits the water. He's his this and he's flailing and he hits the water and he's bobbing up and down and he's crying out in desperation. His arms are flailing and flopping. Now he's drowning. The depressed woman who jumped in the water didn't kill herself. She's still alive and she sees the man drowning so she swims to him, rescues the man and pulls him to shore. This woman who was so depressed, this woman who had nothing to live for, attempted to end her life in a moment, found reason to live. What did she find the reason to live? What, whatever it was she was doing didn't work for her. Whatever she was going through didn't work for her. Whatever doctor she went and do couldn't help her. What saved her was that in a moment she found purpose. And there's a lot of people today that is wallowing in their whole world of, of despair because they don't know purpose. They, they can't answer their why. Why am I here? Let me tell you three principles of purpose in point number two. Let me tell you about three principles of purpose. Number one, purpose is not about me. Say that with me. Purpose is not about me. Jesus said, follow me. Paul put it like this in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible. So everything is created by him, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or power, and all things are created by him. And then look at that next phrase, and for him. You are created for him. Every person, out of all the choices that God could have picked to be born, you were born and placed on planet Earth for a reason, for a purpose. 
Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'll make you. That is a purpose statement. Follow me, I'll make you. So first of all, the purpose is about Jesus in our life. Why am I here? If you guys and ladies and adults are here, if you decide that you're going to be something, I'm going to do something, then let it be, Lord, what do you say? You tell me what to do in my life. Let me find that purpose and I'll follow you. So it's not about me. It's about him. Number two thing you need to know about purpose is that your purpose is bigger than you think it is. Your purpose is bigger than you think it is. The psalmist put it like this, Psalm 139 and 14. I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. Can I tell you that I like myself? Matter of fact, I love myself. I'm not going to be the enemy of myself. I'm not going to be the self-inflicted person that's working out of wounds and hurts and pains that I caused. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. That means that you're a lot better than you even think you are because of the Lord, not because of arrogance or pride. He said in verse 15, my substance was was not hid from thee. You knew what I was, was when I was made in secret. Before I was ever born, you knew what I was. You knew exactly what I, was going to, what I was going to be. Verse 16, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in uh, uh, continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Before I ever existed, you said I matter, I got purpose, I have a place, and I want all of you kids to listen to me because this word will tell you you don't, have, you don't know who you are, you don't know what you are, but before you were ever conceived by your parents, you were designed for something special because the next verse says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. And what it got, what the Bible is saying is that how precious, how wonderful is your plans for my life. Your plans are so great for your life. You know what? When your parents look at you, your grandparents look at you and say, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that. You really shouldn't be going there. You really shouldn't be take, partaking of that. What they are saying is that your plan that God has for you that is so great is that you don't want to forfeit that. You don't want to give that up by acting somewhere out of God's plan. So it's not about me. It's bigger than me. And number three, purpose is more important than my personal plans. Purpose is more important than my personal plans. Proverbs says it like this. There are many devices in a man's heart, 19 and 21. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord that shall stand. There are many Plans, that's what the word devices there means. In the heart of a man, man's got a lot of plans, got a lot of plans. Nevertheless, the word counsel there means purpose. The purpose of the Lord, that's what's going to stand. 
God's written you out as saying, you are something great. I've got a purpose for you. And when you learn what your why is, and when you learn why you're here, then all of a sudden you say, okay, Lord, let me follow your purpose. I can still make my plans. I want you to listen to me. It's important to know how to make plans. Adults, it's important to know how to make plans. But make sure your plan is plugged in to the purpose of God. So we understand that purpose is not about me. It's bigger than me, and it's more important than my plans. Somebody say amen. All right, let's go to point number three. Glory be to God. Now, you young folks are going to make me preach today. I can feel you bringing the preacher out already. So good to have you here. Everybody say leading and serving. From purpose is a dynamic part of life, and we learned that in our last segment. Purpose is an important and dynamic part of life, and it gives to us our why, our why. Then when we begin to look at others, then we see that another two dynamic parts of our life is leading and serving. God created man and woman in Genesis 1 and 28, and I've taught on this repeatedly. Uh, you can go look it up on the podcast to, to get more depth on our uh, uh, about subdue. But the Lord created man, and one of the things he gave him was the power to subdue. Everybody say subdue. Subdue means to govern, it means to rule, it means to lead. I want to make a statement, and if you're writing notes, write this down. Every person is a leader. Say it with me. Every person is a leader. So what is leading? Who are leaders? How can you define what a leader is? What does leadership look like? Some people have the idea that they equate a leader with somebody that's got a title or somebody that has a position. That makes them a leader. I've seen a lot of bad leaders that hold a good position. I've seen a lot of good leaders who hold no position. So having a position or a title does not make you a leader. Somebody calls you president, doesn't make you a leader. Somebody calls you the, uh, the chief, cook and bottle washer, doesn't make you a leader. <clears throat> so what is a leader? Let me, let me share with you some definitions about a leader. The U.S. Army, the U.S. Army defines leadership as, quote, influencing people by providing purpose, direction, and motivation while operating to accomplish the mission and improving the organization. That's a good, that's a good definition. That's a good definition. Mr. J. Robert Clinton defined leader as one who influences a specific group of people to move in a God-given direction. That, 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 that is good. Uh, I, I like uh, Dr. Miles Monroe's uh, look at leadership. He said it took him 40 years of study and research to come up with this leadership definition. He said, leadership is the capacity to influence others through inspiration, motivated by passion, generated by vision, produced by conviction, ignited by purpose. If I could, I, I want to use John Maxwell's definition because he, he sums up this thought from the U.S. military, from, from uh, these other authors and writers and leaders. He said, leadership is influence. 
Leadership is influence. Everyone is a leader. Everyone is designed by God to be a leader. The problem is, I've said this before, but let me share with you again. When David was four years old, our family was on a family vacation, and we were walking down the trail in the woods, and he started strutting out in front of us down this little, little path, and he said, I'm the leader. Where are we going? I feel that all the time. I just want to tell you, I feel that all the time, all the time. But uh, here's the fact. Everyone is designed to be a leader. Every one of us is influencing someone, somewhere, some way, either good or bad. You are influencing someone somehow, some way, even you young folks are influencing someone somehow, some way, either good or bad. The, the, very, the very first person that I should be influencing is me. If you want to know where to begin to lead, you begin by leading yourself, improving yourself, growing yourself. Well, I'd like to have that position. Well, then you may not be ready for leadership. I'd like to, I'd like to be this, and I'd like to have that. I wish they would put me there. and put me. You know what? True leadership says, don't give me a position. I don't have to have a title. I'll find a way to impact people. I'll find a way to be an influencer. But the first person that you influence is yourself. The first person you try to lead is yourself. If you can't lead yourself, then you're probably not going to be able to lead others very effectively. Look at other areas and circles of influence. Your family. Are you influencing your family, good or bad? Probably so. Your church. You're influencing your church. Your faithfulness is influencing. Your spirit is influencing. Your attitude is influencing. Your worship is influencing. Your character is influencing. Everywhere you look, that's leadership quality that you have in your life. You have your job. You have your school, your neighbors. Amen. How about your adversary? You are leading by virtue of influence. You are leading your adversary. Jesus put it like this. Pray for them that despitefully use you. Do good to them. Mm, hallelujah. Now, I like the wisdom of the smartest man in the, in the world beside Jesus, and that it was is that do nice things, be nice to them, and heat coals of fire on their head. But you're, you're leading. So when you look at these three things, purpose, leading, and serving, which we're going to get to the serving, here in just a moment, and that is the purpose answers the question why. Leading answers the question what. Serving answers the question how. Let me say that again. Purpose is the why. Leading is the what. Serving is the how. If we're going to understand true leadership, then we need to look at Jesus Christ Jesus is our king. Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is our everything. But Jesus is also the greatest leader who ever lived. When you consider influence, 
as being the mark of leadership. Jesus is the greatest leader that ever lived. How many have heard of Plato? Anybody heard of Plato? Socrates, Aristotle, we've heard about them. Plato taught his students for 50 years. Uh, Aristotle taught his followers for 40 years. Socrates taught for 40 years. So these three brilliant minds that are considered some of the most brilliant minds in all of history taught for 130 years in their combined influence. Jesus taught for three years. Jesus taught for three years. Jesus never painted a picture, but master artists like Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo were inspired by Jesus to paint masterpieces. He inspired more masterpieces than any other figure in human history. Jesus never wrote one single stanza of poetry, but Dante and Milton's greatest works were inspired by Jesus. He never wrote music or composed a song, yet Beethoven and Bach and Handel and Mendelssohn and Timothy Gothra composed some of the greatest music that is inspired by Jesus. What an influence. What an influence. So I want to know, how does he do that? He's the greatest influencer of all time. I think sometimes because we look at the the deity of Jesus, we tend to think, I'll never measure up, I'll never do. But I want to tell you, he showed us in his humanity how to be a good leader. Amen. Jesus, number five, Jesus' leadership example is servant leadership. Jesus' leadership example is servant leadership. He made a clear path to show us what it meant to be a leader. Look at that attitude that he said in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this attitude, let this attitude, let this mental disposition of a certain direction be in you. That's, that's what that means. What, did he, what is that attitude? He immediately began to say, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. There is a desire within the heart of every one of us, both introvert and extrovert, lion, otter, beaver, golden retriever, All of us, there is something within all of us that wants to be recognized, that would like to be honored, that would like to be looked at, and it fuels our ambition. It fuels our desire. We want at least a pat on the back. Anybody want that? I do. I like it when you tell me that's a good message. I do. I really do. But I won't keep preaching whether you tell me or don't, but I like it. There's nothing wrong with ambition or desire and recognition as long as it is is in the correct motive. But Jesus, the Bible said, as becoming a servant, starting to serve, he emptied himself. Everybody say, he emptied himself. The phrase in the Bible is that he made no reputation for himself. He didn't come looking for a reputation. When you understand servant leadership, you realize, I don't have to have a name to be a blessing and to fulfill my purpose. No reputation means to empty or to divest oneself of position. 
Other translations put it like this. He emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He stripped himself of his glory. God could not empty himself of himself. This is where a lot of people, I think they miss it because the Bible here says that he took upon the form of a servant. We're not going to get into a a message on the Godhead right now, but he took upon the form of the servant, which means when you study that, is that he transformed himself from one particular place to another particular place, from one kind of position to another kind of position. He chose to take on the form of a servant. He emptied himself of his right to his position, but he didn't empty himself of his own self. He was still God manifest in the flesh. But he took upon the form of the servant in that he says, I have the power. At any given time, he could have called 10,000 angels. He had the power, but he chose not to use it. He had the knowledge. He could have crushed any debater. Like the sorry cockroach bug those Pharisees were. He could have brought them down to the ground and ground them into powder. He could have revealed every sin and every lie in their life. He could have told them everything. But servanthood held him back. He said, I can do that. I can zap you like like Rice Krispies and you snap, snap, crackle, and pop. But he didn't because servanthood reveals that Christ did not selfishly exploit his divine form and mode of being, but rather laid aside his glory and took up the form of the servant. You see today a lot of people in the, in the world and the people in the church, they want to serve because they want notoriety. They want, to be, they want to be able to tell everybody how much they know and how smart they are and how good they are and how much of a great leader they are. And Jesus said, I could have, but I chose not to. I choose to serve. I choose to serve. You see, when you become in the place of servanthood, then all of a sudden, anything you do for the kingdom of God is about fulfilling purpose and not getting applause. Not getting applause. Not getting applause. Amen. Christ changed his mode of expression from that of the glory of deity to that of the humiliation of a bondservant. He set aside his legitimate desire of being glorified He set it aside to express himself as a servant. Instead of worship, he ministered. Instead of the ministry of angels, he served. Jesus took on the curses and the hatred of mankind because he was saying, I am going to fulfill my purpose here. John 13 and 5, Jesus knowing what that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself after that he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel therewith he was girded. We find in the example in the, in the Passover when Jesus began to wash their feet, he was saying to them, I am expressing my my leadership by serving others. I am expressing my leadership by helping somebody else, by serving somebody else. Jesus could still display his deity because he was, yet he could act like a servant because he was. 
You might be the smartest cookie in the room. You might be the most brilliant, idea-invested person in the room. But do you have to be? You might know every great idea, and your thoughts may be the most prime and prime and top. But do you have to? Jesus said true leadership is I don't have to do that. I'm going to find where the need is. I'll get the towel as somebody needs to have. Let me see your wife's coat right there. Somebody. All right, that'll work. Stick your leg out here. Hallelujah. This, this is dirty. This needs to get taken care of. This needs to be taken care of. He could have rebuked them and told them, you sorry scum, don't you know I spoke you into existence? Don't you know who I am? Yeah. But that's not what leadership is about. That's not what purpose is about. Purpose is about finding a need and fulfilling the need. Purpose is about saying, okay, I got a gift. I know how to wash people's feet. I can do that, even if it's beneath me. If we're going to go in our world and if we're going to lead like never before and if we're going to expand our influence in our families, our homes, our, our community, then we've got to take on the, the form of thinking of Jesus Christ that says, you know what? I know more than that one. I got a better understanding than that one. But I'm going to serve them anyway. They don't look like me, smell like me. I walked by some people in, in uh, my goodness, the other day at, at, at JC. I ran into half the church. But I ran into somebody that wasn't uh, from our church. Let me just clarify that. That I had to turn my head because they stunk so bad just to talk to them. They stunk so, so, so bad. <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, Jesus. Serve them. Serve them. Put his arm around them. Servanthood is based upon a biblical view of people and not about power and position. That's what Jesus modeled. Okay, let's look at point number six, the foundation for serving. The foundation for serving. If we want to know where the strength of this model is found, it's found in Mark chapter 10, verse 42. Jesus called unto them, to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. That means they're mean bad bosses. Okay? Lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. And even the Son of Man came not to minister unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. What is he saying? The model of the world doesn't match the model of the kingdom when it comes to leadership. I get so, I have tons of books on leadership that I've read, that I haven't read, that I've got, that I want to read, and, and it's, it's really interesting to me. I, I enjoy that. But there's so many models out there. There's so many, you know, examples. But what the Lord said is the way the world runs the leadership is not the way the kingdom runs its leadership. So then where is the foundation? 
The foundation of knowing true leadership is found at the foot of the cross. Jesus said, if you want to win, if you want to gain yourself, you've got to lose yourself. If you want to gain yourself, you've got to lose yourself. We find that the disciples were bickering and complaining before this passage. They were bickering and complaining. James and John approached Jesus asking that, that, they, that he would allow them to sit with him in the highest positions of his kingdom. The right-hand seat was reserved for the person who was second in rank, while the left-hand seat was reserved for the person who was third in rank. These men saw themselves as leaders among the disciples and they wanted their positions to be made in such a public and permanent way. Mark 10, 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came unto him saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Oh, great Jesus, will you... Bless us like a genie. They wanted the glory and honor that come from being elevated to the throne. They wanted position. They wanted to be close to Jesus in the kingdom. They wanted power. These men wanted to have positions of great authority in the kingdom, number one. And number two, this was not, listen to me, Jesus never rebuked them for wanting this. I'm going to let that sink in for a minute. Jesus never rebuked Peter and John for wanting to be close to him, to have position, and to have power. Jesus had already promised in Matthew 19 and 28, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon 12 thrones. He had already promised that to them. James and John had good intentions and noble ambition but they seemingly overlooked the next two verses that Jesus went on to say, and everyone that hath forsaken houses and brethren, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first, right hand, and the last shall be first. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Some people see the throne more than just simply getting close to Jesus because they want the power and the position and the prestige. But Jesus said, John and James, you're asking a difficult thing, but if you want to, are you willing to drink the cup that I drink? Are you willing to drink the cup? What he's saying is that are you willing to carry what I carry? Are you willing to go through what I go through? Are you willing to go to the cross with me? And I see sometimes dealing with church people and dealing with leadership and organization, it's, it's like watching the comedy, Who's on First? Servants aren't considered concerned about finishing first. They're not consumed. They don't have a problem with preeminence, but they're not consumed with it. They don't have a problem with power. They're not consumed with it. Hallelujah. Those that are obsessed with finishing first have to be right all the time. It's their way or the highway. I know how to do it, and my way is the right way. We're going to argue about this. We're going to, I'll tell you how to fry those chicken. I know how to fry those chicken. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I just stirred up something right there, didn't I? 
I know how to get this done. I know how to get that done. If they let me be in charge, we'd do this. Then why don't you just go ahead and pick up a shovel. Let's start digging ditches. Go ahead and pick up a paintbrush. Let's paint the building. Go ahead and pick up something and just do it. Uh, praise the Lord. Brother Matt is not here tonight, and I wanted to mention this, but let me just mention this. How many of you have noticed that the back door had a problem with the knob? I see a few hands going up. Do you know that you could jiggle that a certain way and the door that was supposed to be locked would open? Well, the other day I bought a knob because I'm going to put it on there. According to bronchitis, I wasn't able last week to do that. So Brother Matt walks up to me Sunday night, hadn't said a word to me, didn't ask permission, didn't, you know, he just walked up to me and handed me a key and said, I put a new lock on the back door. Here's the key. I about shouted out of my skin. You see, to me, that is a perfect example of I didn't need anybody to ask me. I didn't need anybody to pat me on. He wasn't looking for a pat on the back. It was a problem. Let's serve and fix that. Hallelujah. All right. I want to talk to you about eight keys of being a servant leader. It's found from Philippians chapter 2 in the text that we have read. And I'm not going to reread that, but um, we'll go back to our beginning text for this. True ministry begins with serving. No role of the ministry in the church, no position, no job, no task or calling will ever be effective unless this is where you start. Servanthood. I meant it to serve. I meant it to serve. If you and I help anybody in our community in the next year, it's going to be because we start with servanthood. We don't look for something back in return. We don't look back for somebody to pat us on the back, somebody to say how good job we do, but we do it with excellence because that's how Jesus did it. And I want to do it like Jesus. All right, let's look again. Number one. Here's a sign of servant leaders. Servants express encouragement. Say that with me. Servants express encouragement as opposed to complaining, griping, and groaning. Here's the scripture. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, consolation means providing solace, comfort, exhortation, encouragement, and leaders who are servants are encouragers. Have you ever been around somebody that you wanted to stay around because they're an encourager? You just want to, you know, I just, you feel better when you leave them. Then you don't want to leave them because there's just something about them. That's why folks hung around Jesus. He made them feel, feel so good. I remember walking years ago and in my brother's hospital room uh, when he was having uh, open heart surgery. And I, I don't know his friends. I don't know the people he works with. He lived in San Antonio, Texas, and I, I live way up here in Indiana and didn't get to see him very often, talked frequently. But I walked into the room, and I was standing there, and I watched as, as in one time I counted 12 preachers in the room with him. And you know what he was doing on his bed, his hospital bed? He was saying, hey, this one, whatever his name was, and introduced him to the other one and said, this is one of the most powerful teachers you have ever heard in your life. 
He had every one of them. I watched it. Every one of them. He was saying things like, this guy, he knows how to do this, and he can do that, and he's got this great leadership quality, and he's got this. And I'm thinking, no wonder these guys showed up. Oh, I'm glad old so-and-so showed up. Ain't never fit for nothing. I'm not going to that hospital room. I believe that we need to realize if we like encouragement, how many like encouragement? I love encouragement. Then be an encourager. Servants are encouragers. All right? Number two, servants have genuine empathy. Servants have genuine empathy. He said, if there be any bowels and mercy. Bowels and mercy here is a funny expression that we don't often talk about in modern day English. But it means to feel deeply. It describes the compassion that moves a man to the deepest depths of his being. Servant leaders are not detached emotionally from those that they serve. If you're serving somebody, if you're serving in, in any capacity in life and influencing other, there ought to be some kind of emotional connection. I tell you what, I don't know about you, did anybody just like, wow, okay, this one wants to do this and this one wants to do that. I mean, he's ready to help them. They may never reach to those particular things. But how I many is ready to help them? Encourage, encourage, empathy, feel. Jesus is our example. He's our high priest, which can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Number three, servants maintain unity. Servants maintain unity. This is a big one because the Bible here says, be like-minded, having the same love. Be like-minded, having the same love. Servants are not keepers of the peace. They're peacemakers. There is a difference. Peacemakers are not appeasers. They seek to please God in the effort to bring harmony one to another. And sometimes just being a peacekeeper is just simply going around trying to put out fires. But if you're going to be a peacemaker, that means you're serving in a way where you can reach over to this side and this side. Can we come together? Is there any way we can come together? Keep the unity. Keep the unity. Number four, servants understand purpose. Being of one, one accord and of one mind, the Bible says. A servant can see the big picture. When it's not about them, then it's real easy to see the big picture. It's, it's more than just my project, more than my, just my ministry. It's more than just what I'm doing. It's a trademark of the apostolic church. Their passion was for their purpose. They breathed as one. They were in the upper room in one accord. Amen. They breathed as one. They had one intent. They had one heart. They were without conflicts. No, they didn't have. Were they without conflicts? Absolutely not. They had conflicts. But they still beat. Here's this exciting thing about servant leaders is they can disagree and still work together. I need to take a drink on that one. I realize some people work better with others. I live in a family. You do too. 
I got to go to number five. Servants are not politically motivated. Number five, servants are not politically motivated. The Bible here says, let nothing be done through strife. Now, structure and order is essential part of God's kingdom, but strife, mudslinging, slanders, smear campaigns erode at the character of the church. Strife means engineering or uh, intriguing for office, a desire to put oneself into a partisan and fractured spirit. It's, 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 It's Republicans and Democrats. That's what strife, party making. That's exactly what it means. Have we ever seen a time in our country where they're so divided from left to right? It's like there's a gulf the size of Grand Canyon. And then sometimes I think they're all exactly the same. Oh, why did you start that? Aristotle uses the word strife to denote, quote, a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. Let nothing be done through strife. The thing about servants is that while they may serve a position, they don't need a position to serve. So it doesn't have to be about their politics. Amen. Number six, servants are not conceited. Servants are not conceited. I could teach an hour on every one of these. Servants are not conceited. Let nothing be done through vainglory. Servants do not have to have... Have you ever been around somebody? Let me, let me just tell a story, then you can say if you've ever been around them. Back years ago, when we pastored a church south of here, there was a, a project going on, and there was a dear brother that would come to the work days, and he'd come pull up a chair next to the cooler, and he'd sit and tell us what we're doing wrong while we're working. He's sitting and directing. Needless to say, he was not a very well-liked person. There are some times in our life that we, like the Lord, in following his example, we may know how to do it. We may know a better way. But sometimes it's not appropriate to be forcing in somebody's plate in their, in their face, especially when you're sitting on the sidelines. Oh, that's preaching a lot bigger than you're letting on right there. Hallelujah. Amen. A servant is not conceited. They're not a know-it-all. They don't have to have it all. They, amen. They're willing to express Let's work together. Number seven, servants are humble. The Bible verse says, In lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Genuine humility is not bemoaning how low you are. It is rather elevating others. Humility is not putting yourself down. It's lifting others. Lift others up. Hallelujah. It's not about, oh, how bad I am and how, oh, this whole thing. That's not humility. That's pride. 
Vine writes that loneliness of mind indicates not merely a moral quality, but the subjection of self under the authority of and a response to the love of the Lord Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to conform the believer to the character of Christ. I want to be humble because that's what Christ was. Anybody have to work on that besides me every day? Number eight, servants work well with others. The Bible verse says here, let not every man, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Working with others may be the servant's most difficult task sometimes, but servants strive to build teams. Servants strive to build teams. That's something we're going to be talking about a lot this month. Servants strives to build teams. Amen. They're not concerned with celebrity status. Have you ever, you ever been around those, those ball players in the interview and it's all about I and me and my and dear goodness, Lord, you couldn't have done anything if you didn't have the four other guys on the court with you? Have you ever watched a politician talk about my staff and my this and my cabinet and my this and like he owns them? That is a pet peeve of mine. I just want to tell you, I just don't like that. But I think we need to make sure that we're looking at this is our, us, we, together, teamwork, teamwork. Teamwork requires servanthood. One of the verses of Scripture in closing today. Jesus said in John 12 and 26, If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there also may also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Him will my father honor. Praise God. Servanthood is the only model that expresses God's concept of leadership. Stand with me, please. When, when asked, am I a servant leader, I've got to ask myself some questions. Do people believe that I'm willing to sacrifice my own self-interest for the good of the group? Do people believe that I want to hear their ideas and value them? Am I a servant leader? Do people believe that I will understand what is happening in their lives and how it affects them? Years ago, when we evangelized, uh, I knew that in my heart that God was going to lead me to pastoral ministry. So at times I would sit down, Sister Gill and I would sit down with a pastor or a pastor's wife and say, hey, what do you think it takes to be a good pastor? What do you think it takes to be a pastor? And there was an elder brother that uh, pastored a very, at that time, thriving church, and it was he was a, just a good old country pastor and his, his heart was very kind. And I said, hey, brother, what do you think it takes to be a good pastor? And he didn't bat an eye. He said one word, children. Children. Brother David, I didn't understand that until I had children. Then all of a sudden I realized that 
you have to let pride go out the door when you got children. Any parents in the house? Because they can say things and do things that doesn't fit your polished, perfect mold. Mm-hmm. And I believe today we have to be willing to say, if I'm a servant leader, I've got to be willing to work with others, listen to others. Do they believe that I have a strong awareness of what is going on? Am I compassionate? Do I? Well, they didn't show up for that, that particular meeting. They didn't show up for that practice. We may not know that they just quickly ran into a ditch and blew out a tire and couldn't get here after they'd worked 12 hours that day. And after, you know, you, you just don't throw everything into one cookie-cutter mold when you're a servant leader. You find out what the background is. You find out what is happening. Maybe they need a hand up rather than a hand to their face. It's about serving with the right spirit. Lord, help me, help me, help me. Lord, I come to you right now in the precious name of Jesus. Lord, you exhibited for us on this earth what it meant to know purpose and the power of purpose. Lord, but also you showed us what it meant to be a leader, God, an influencer. Lord, you influenced so many. Some you poured more into than others. Oh, God, and some you didn't even touch at all. But, God, you, you, you led and you lead by influence. Thank you, Father, for that, showing us the power of leadership. And, Lord, you show us, your God, the blessing of servanthood to serve, to lift to encourage, to help. In the precious name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. Anybody about ready to be unleashed to serve? Ready already? Hallelujah. Let me just tell you, you don't have to wait to the end of this, this, this session. Wait to the end of this 37 days of, of getting prepared to start doing something. You get an opportunity, do it. Do it. Serve somebody. Help somebody. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com.